we'll look first of all at what the Father did. What did the Father do in these passages? Well, first of all, the Father gave the elect to Jesus. He says, I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And so the first thing we find is the Father gave the elect to Jesus. The giving of the elect to Jesus was done in eternity. So before God created the world, before there was a heaven and before there was an earth, in the covenant of redemption, the Father had chosen a people unto salvation. Ephesians 1 makes this very clear that not based upon any good done by the elect. So God didn't look to see who would believe in him and then say, well, these people are going to believe in me so I know who my people are. And he didn't say, let me go and look down and find the best people that there are. In fact, he, he chose some of the worst people. He didn't say, who is going to be the, the smartest and the brightest and the best? I'm going to choose those. No, he went and chose people not for their attributes, but because he loved them, because of his grace and because of his mercy. So the Father had chosen a people for the good pleasure of his own will and by his grace, not out of any superior traits or potential. And so in, the, in eternity, as the scriptures tell us, so you, know, you say, well, how can this happen in eternity? Um, this is just how the, what the Bible tells us, that the Father had chosen a people, a particular people, and un, unconditionally, not based on any condition of the people, themselves, but out of the good uh, pleasure of his, of his will, because of his merciful, because of his love, he gave those to the Son in eternity, that the Son would redeem those the Father gave him. And those who the Father gave to the Son are quickened or given life by the Spirit and regenerated in the day of his power. So Jesus is praying, talking about something that happened before there was, a, before there was the world. And so, as J.C. Ryle said, it's an unspeakable comfort to remember that Christ cares for that which the Father gave him. And so when we look at this, sometimes our minds might be directed strictly to the doctrine and, and defending the doctrine and making the doctrine distinct, which, is all, which are all good things. But it's also good to think about this and just think how the Father loved us. That's how John describes it in 1 John. Oh, what manner of love has the Father towards his people? What manner of love? That John was just overwhelmed thinking about the love that God the Father had uh, towards his people. Um, let's just look over there. I know I didn't quote it right. Let's, um, let's just turn over there. 1 John 3, verse number 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, 
Now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So, as Jesus prays and we listen in on this prayer, we hear him saying, Lord, Father, he says, Father, you have given me these people. You chose these people, you love these people, and you gave them to me. So the Father has given us unto the Son. And that's a comfort. That's a comfort to know that we are loved and chosen by the Father, and now in the hands of the Son. Well, the doctrine of election can scare people. They'll say, well, I wonder if God has chosen me. I wonder if I am one of the elect. You start thinking about election and say, well, how do I know if I'm one of the elect? If God chose me and chose all those who are saved from before the foundation of the world, well, how am I going to know if that's me? And when you start thinking like that, you know, it can, it, it can, it can bother you if you don't think about it in the right way. They say, well, I wonder if God has chosen me or I wonder if God has chosen them and back and forth. But what we have to remember is there is but one divine will. There is one divine will. It's not as if the Father wants to do one thing and the Son wants to do something else and the Spirit wants to do something else and and there's just a debate back and forth between the persons of the Trinity. No, there is but one divine will. There is one God. And in the one um, being of God, there, can, there is one divine will. And so, as uh, Thomas Manton pointed out, he said, The Father loveth none but those who are given to Christ. And Christ taketh charge of none but those that are loved by the Father. Your election will not be known by your interest in Christ, and your interest in Christ by the sanctification of the Spirit. Or your election will be known, rather, sorry, your election will be known by your interest in Christ, and your interest in Christ by the sanctification of the Spirit. All God's flock are put into the hands of Christ, and Christ leaveth them to the care of the Spirit, that they might be enlightened and sanctified. So in looking after the comfort of election, you must first look inward to the work of the Spirit in your hearts, then outward to the work of Christ, then upward to the heart of the Father. And then, so like in 1 Peter, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of Christ. There's a chain of salvation beginning from the Father, the dispensation through the Son, and the application by the Spirit. All comes from God, and all is conveyed to us through Christ by the Spirit. So what's, what, what's he getting at there? Well, let's think about what Christ is praying here. Father, you gave these people to me. Now what's Jesus going to do? I'm going to save these people. I am not going, I'm going to redeem them. All those that you gave me, I'm going to save them. And all those that I die for, the Spirit is going to sanctify and, re- and quicken and give life to. And so, if you're thinking, well, am I one of the elect? How can I know that I'm one of the elect? Do you trust in Christ? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, then, you're one of God's people. You say, well, how can I know that? Because you're trusting in Christ. And the only people who's going to trust in Christ are those that were given 
that the Father gave to the Son and those that the Spirit um, sanctifies. So when you start to worry, well, am I one of the elect or one, are they one of the elect? You're looking at the wrong end of the, the, the doctrine. The question is, do I trust in Christ? Do I look to Christ? And then you say, has the Spirit worked a work in my life? Am I a new creature? Have I turned from sin unto Christ? Am I believing in Christ? Well, you can only do that if you're born again. You can only trust in Christ if you have the Holy Spirit. You can only look to Christ if you are, or you can only do that if you've been born again. If you're born again, you look to Christ, and if you look to Christ, you're one of the elect. The comfort here is knowing that there is one divine will. Some, some think that you separate election from every other doctrine. No, that is one aspect of God's, of God's salvation, but God doesn't elect unto salvation and just leave it over there and then say, okay, well, now it's up to you to, to look to Christ without uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit, or it's up to you to, to hang on to what uh, Christ did for you. No, it, it is the work of God. So it's, there's comfort in election. There's assurance there. Know that there is one will. And those that the Father gave the Son, the Son will redeem. And those that the Son redeems, the Spirit will give life to and seal um, with everlasting life. So that's the first thing the Father did. He gave the elect to Jesus. The second thing is he gave the words to Jesus. Verse number 8 says, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. The doctrine of the gospel is not a doctrine of man. What the disciples learn, what the apostles learn, as he prays for those 11 apostles, what they learned did not come from the logic of man, but this is a heavenly doctrine. The gospel is a heavenly doctrine. There are some things, there are a lot of things actually, that you can learn from, from just the natural man. Human nature was created by God. And then humans were placed in the world that God created. And human beings were given minds that can reason and can use logic and so it only stands to reason that human beings created by God with a mind to reason that was given to us by God living in the world God created it only stands to reason that we can, we can learn things um, in the world that God created because he created us in that way to, to learn things, right? So you can learn logic. You can learn logic at school from, from people who are not believers. Because logic, it just applies truth, right? So you can learn logic. You can learn about the economy. You can learn a language. You, know, you can go and learn Italian from an Italian person, whether they believe in Christ or not. You can learn Arabic from a Muslim, right? It, it, it's not all knowledge has to come straight from the Bible. There, there are things that you can learn in nature. But you cannot come to knowing God through Christ merely by reason. 
you just can't do it. There's a lot of things you can learn from nature, but you can't learn the gospel from nature. You can't go out in the woods and just sit there and think and come up with the gospel. This is something that has been revealed from heaven. The gospel of Jesus Christ was revealed from heaven, and this is the words which Jesus spake, that he said, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. The doctrine of salvation in Christ um, is a heavenly doctrine. It is a doctrine that is revealed from heaven or is revealed by God to us, and the only way we can know these things is that they have been revealed to us. We can't know about God unless God tells us about himself. We can't know about the covenant of redemption. You might say, well, how do you know that the Father chose people before the foundation of the world? You weren't there. Nobody was there. How do you even know that there was a time or in eternity? How do you know these things? What gives you the authority to say that um, God chose and, and the Son uh, said that he would receive those? Well, it has been revealed to us. There was one God in three persons, and those three persons were there. And the Son, who was there, the Word of God, revealed unto us the mind of God. So Jesus is called the Word, right? In John 1.1, 1, 1, He is the Word of God. He was with God, and He was God, and he, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word spoke the words of God. The words that... In that covenant of redemption, the Father said, you go and, and reveal um, our plan of redemption. And so Jesus is praying, said, I have done what I have been, um, what I have set out to do. I, I have given the words that in the economy of redemption that I, was, I had come to reveal. So the Father gave the elect to Jesus. The Father gave words to Jesus. The Father sent Jesus. Um, in the verse number 8, they have believed that thou didst send me. Now there is one God, and that God is in three persons. But each of the three persons are equal in glory, in power, and majesty. And so... It's not three different gods, but it's one God in three persons. And in the, in, in, in the essence of God, in who God is, all three persons are equal in glory and power and majesty. So you can't have an all-powerful God who is lesser than something else, right? So being God... Jesus is equal with the Father in glory and power and majesty, in the essence of God. But it's in the economy of salvation that we've, or in other words, how salvation is wrought out, how God deals with man. You see the sending and Jesus doing the will of the Father and Jesus um, obeying the Father. It's not that Jesus is a lesser God because there's only one God and he is equal in glory and power and majesty. But in the 
economy of salvation and how God saves us, how God has planned to save us, the Father sends the Son. And the Son has come uh, to do the will of the Father. So that's just how we have to think about this. We have to think, well, there's one God, not three gods. And there's one essence of God, not God divided by thirds. But there's only one God. So it's not that Jesus has 33% of all power and the Father has 33% and, and so on. It's There's one God and one essence of God. So Jesus is truly God and the Father is truly God and the Spirit is truly God. And they share the divine will and they share the divine essence and they share the, the, the divine power. But in how they come to save and how they relate in salvation, we think of what they do for us. And the Father eternally begets the Son. So he's, the Son didn't have a beginning because he, he is co-equal with God. But the Father did uh, beget the Son. And, and Jesus, because he is the Son, came um, and was sent to the Father. Again, this is very, very deep and very um, mind-expanding. You think about the triune God, but there's really, there's nothing else we can compare the triune God to. The, 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 who is like our God? So we, we come to these verses not thinking that we know everything about them. We come to them and just with jaw-dropping awe and wonder at our God. Knowing that Jesus is, Jesus is God and, and reading that the Father has sent him. And thinking of the condescension of Christ who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why didn't he think it would be robbery to be equal with God, as it says in Philippians? Because he was God. Jesus is God. And all that goes along with that. But here, the Son condescended. He lowered him. He came down. He humbled himself to die for us. So we know that, because we know that the Father did send the Son. Well, that's what the Father did. Now, what did the Son do? Well, first of all, the Son manifested the name of God. I have manifested thy name, verse number 6. The name is not, you know, he's not talking about Jehovah. What, he, what he's talking about is God's perfections and his promises. Several times in Scripture, um, the name of God is referred to that. I'm just going to read one Example of that in Psalm 20, verse number 1. It says, The Lord, hear thee in the day of trouble, the name of God of Jacob, defend thee. So the name here is not a name like you would call God, but it's talking about his attributes, his perfections. So the perfections of God, who God is. Um, that his name carries along not just what you would call God, but also who God is because of his perfections. So the name of God here is talking about his power and his majesty and his, his love for his people and his righteousness and, and so forth. So when Jesus manifested God's name, it wasn't just he came and, and revealed that God was Father, but he manifested, revealed, made known the character and the promises and even the plan of God in 
in redemption. Um, well, in Psalm 22, 22, it says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. So that was a prophecy that Jesus Christ would declare the name of God uh, unto the praise and the glory of God's people. So, um, again, he manifested God's name, his, his perfections. Jesus was the prophet, remember, that declared the truth about God to his disciples. Jesus came here as a prophet, priest, and king. This is, as many people call his high priestly prayer, his work as mediator. We know it's a priestly work, but he said, I have done the prophet work. I have manifested thy name. I have declared your truth. I have spoken the words which you gave me to speak. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John 1, 17 and 18. No man has seen God. But who has seen God? The Son. He has seen God. Who was in the bosom of the Father. He has seen God. When did the Son see God? We saw God in eternity. Before he came. He was the Son in eternity. That's what John 1, 18 tells us. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He had seen God and he has declared God. He has made God known. Because the Son knows the Father. And the, the Son was with the Father. And had seen the Father. And, and made the covenant with the Father. And came to do the Father's will. And came to speak the Father's word. And came to make uh, God known. Through him. And declare him. So that's what the Son did. The Son came and spoke. And uh, revealed God to us that we may know God through him. And that kind of connects to the next thing that the son did is the son gave God's word to the, the disciples. In verse number eight, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. So the father gave the words to the son and the son spoke the words unto the disciples. And so there, there was there's sort of a, um, a repeat of what we find in the first part of that. So the father glorified the son and the son came that we might glorify the father through the son. The father glorified the son. The son glorifies the father. We are saved and we glorify the father and the son and then the father and son will glorify us um, at the resurrection. So you see sort of like a uh, Sinclair Ferguson called it a chain of glory, but you also see this chain of the word of God. The father spoke the word, the son came and spoke the word to the disciples that the father gave to him. And now what happens later on is that the disciples, the apostles, speak the word that the son gave to them. And what are we doing this morning? We are speaking the words that were given to the apostles that, were, were, that came from Jesus, that the Father gave to Jesus to give to the apostles. And so as, as that glory sort of trickles down, that we may glorify God and, and enjoy him forever, the word comes to us that we may know God 
um, and, and glorify God in what he has given us. So this is just the wonder of the work that God has given to us. So Jesus came and gave that word to the disciples. How did Peter know? How did Peter know who uh, who Jesus was? Well, Jesus said, "Flesh and blood had not revealed it unto you." In John six uh, sixty eight, notice what it says in this passage. Then Simon Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life." Whenever Jesus spoke those hard truths, Jesus said, you guys won't leave me. You guys won't go off and, um, and not trust me anymore. He said, no, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. No one else can know these words, but you have these words. How else will we know how to be saved? How else will we know um, about eternal life? How else will we know how to get to heaven? How will we know how to have our sins forgiven? Well, it's through what uh, the Son revealed. He said, we can't go anywhere else because you're the only one that has this. You're the only one that has the truth. And so Jesus um, gave that word to the disciples. In times past, God spoke through the prophets in various ways. Divers' manners, Hebrews 1 says. But in these last days, how, how does Hebrews tell us that he spoke? He speaks through his son. The Son of God is the first man in the role of the New Testament, prophets. That's what Thomas Manton said. How do we know what God has revealed? Well, the, the prophet has come. Jesus has come. So that's the second thing that Jesus did was he came to give God's word to his disciples. The third thing he came to do was to do the Father's will. All throughout the Gospel of John, you find Jesus saying, well, I've come to do the will of the Father. I've come to do the will of the Father. And that's what he did. Jesus prays that you, I have come to do what you called me to do. He manifested the name. He received those whom the Father gave him. He gave the words which the Father gave him to do. And so Jesus accomplished the will of the Father. When we think about this, we can be comforted and assured in our salvation. So, what do we think about this? So, why do we believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Christ? So, well, I believe what the Bible says. Where did we get the Bible? The Bible came from God spoke to us through his son. We have the testimony of the spirit. We have the indwelling of the spirit. We have the the regeneration of the spirit um, that points us to Christ and gives us faith. We have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who has come. And we know that Christ has come um, through the testimony of the word of God, which God has given us. And we know that the father has come to do the, or the Son has come to do the will of the Father. And so we see the work of the Trinity in our salvation and in our life, and, and we can have assurance in our salvation because of this. We can trust it because of what God has done for us, not that we, what we have done for ourselves. We can be comforted that our salvation is in the hands of God, and the Father wouldn't fail, 
and the Son wouldn't fail, and the Spirit doesn't fail. As the Son prays to the Father, as we listen to this prayer, we can hear Jesus say, Father, you gave me things to do in this covenant of redemption. As the Son, I voluntarily uh, came into this world, and I voluntarily came to do what was required in this covenant, that your people would have everlasting life and you would be glorified in, in salvation. And so Jesus is saying to his Father, speaking to his Father, Father, I, I did it. I did what you asked me to do. In the wisdom of God, in the plan of redemption, God didn't just say, I'm just going to save everybody and just forget about sin. He didn't say that because then his justice would be um, uh, not glorified. But what God said was, uh, my justice must be vindicated, but I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And in this plan of redemption that all the perfections of God would be glorified, it was the will of God that one must die for sins and one must live for uh, and, and take the place of both as a sin bearer and as a head, a federal head in, in the covenant of works and righteousness. One must both be perfect and righteous, and one must shed blood for sin. And Jesus Christ is praying here and said, Father, I've, did, I've done it all. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. It's the, the task to this point is complete. So whenever you read that prayer, if, if nothing else, if you can't grab a hold of anything else, grab a hold of the fact that Jesus says, I did it. There were certain things that had to be done, and I did it. There were certain things that were required, and I did it. The hope of all those who put their trust in me resides on whether I did what you sent me out to do or not, and I did it. There are people, you and I, here this morning. Our hope resides in Christ Jesus, the Lord. That's it. And if Jesus didn't do what he said he was going to do, then all hope is lost. We might as well go fishing or something because there's no point in being here because our hope is in Jesus. But here we are through this gospel. We can quietly come up to the Son as he prays. And we can overhear him praying. And we can listen in on him praying. And he says, Father, I did the work. I had to manifest your name. I did it. You gave me these people, and I'm going to die for them. I'm going to lay down my life for them. I, I haven't uh, failed in this regard. And so we might not understand everything that he's saying, but you can understand this much, and I can understand this much, that Jesus accomplished what he set out to do. So I'm going to trust him. Can I understand exactly, fully, and completely to the, everything that, that goes on here? Well, I can understand to the best of my ability, but is there, I know that there's depths that there's depths there that I don't even know are there. All right? So I know there's some things here that, that I can't grasp, but there's things here that I don't even understand that I don't understand. All right? there, there's, 
There's truths there that I don't even know that I don't know. But I do know that Jesus accomplished what he set out to do. Well, lastly, um, let's look at what the disciples did. And this is, first, in verse number six, they obeyed the word. Look at the end of verse number six. Jesus gave the word and he said, and they have kept thy word. So the disciples, first thing they did is they kept the word that was given. The Father gave the word to Jesus that he would reveal. Jesus gave the word to the disciples, and the disciples listened and obeyed that word. This was the result of what God did for them. It didn't work the other way around, did it? It didn't say, the disciples kept thy word. So I'm going to save them, and then I'm going to give them to you, Father. That's sort of how, that's sort of how some people believe salvation works. The disciples obeyed the word, and then the son dies for them, and then, or, or the disciples keep the word, and the son receives them. Might be the better way to say it. Uh, the disciples kept the word, the son receives them, and the son gives them to the father. But in reality, what the, the scriptures tell us is the father gave the elect to the son. The son came and revealed God unto the disciples. And then the disciples received that word and, and received uh, Christ who gave them that word, who drew them um, to him. So we get it backwards. The disciples did indeed keep the word. They did indeed believe and they obeyed. But they did so because of the work of God that was in them first. Again, this is how you have comfort and rejoice in the sovereignty of God and the doctrines of grace. Because what you have and what you do is evidence of God's work in you, not the other way around. It's not you trying to be saved, it's you um, working out what God has put in. It is the fruit of the life that is in you. So the disciples obeyed not to be saved because they were already. A blackberry doesn't become a blackberry when you eat it. It is one on the vine. You pick it off the vine because it is a blackberry, not because you're trying to make it into one. The disciples produced fruit because they were in the vine of Christ. They had life, and, and life produces fruit. They obeyed because they were in Christ already. So the disciples kept the word, which was the will of God. This goes back to the sanctification. What is God's will? That we obey the word. How is God's will completed? Well, it's when we obey God's word, we're doing the will of God. But why do we do the will of God? Well, it's because we are in Christ. and Because that will was in us, given to us by God. And we're just working out what God has done. So we obey God, but only by the grace of God. And Jesus says they kept the word. And you might, you know, kind of think, are we talking about the same disciples here? The disciples haven't kept the word in the upper room, let alone the whole ministry of Jesus. The disciples are just one failure after another, just about. Jesus tells them to do something, they argue about it, they don't do it, they don't have faith, they misunderstand it. And here Jesus is praying, they've kept your word. 
that required, that makes us think of how Jesus views us, those who are in Christ. Now, if they were under the law, what's the law required? Perfection. Guilty or not guilty? Perfection. The disciples are not under the law, they're under grace. They kept the law in Christ. And how did they keep the word? By sincere obedience to the Lord. Christ pardons their sins, and now they're kept free to keep the word. Jesus is not the, the accuser of the brethren. That's Satan's job. He was their mediator. And their works were the result of the, the fruit of his work. And so Jesus is pardoning them of their sins. He's washing them clean of all their unrighteousness. And all that is left, all that remains, is the apostles keeping the word. All the commandments are accounted, kept. And that which is not done is pardoned, said Thomas Mann. All that is not kept, all that is not done, has been pardoned. Well, what's, what's left? Only the things that, that we have done. So we, we see Christ's work as mediator here. They kept their word. Child of God, we can have faith that the Father views us in the same regard. They've kept the word. You and I know we don't keep the word of God perfectly. We don't obey perfectly, but we are no longer under the law. We are under grace. And so what, what that means is that we keep the law because we love God. But we are not saved by that law. We're not saved by us keeping that pardon or keeping that, uh, that word and obeying that word. And so out of the abundance of love and gratitude in our hearts because God has saved us, we, with faith and loving, sincere obedience, keep the, the law, and we don't do it perfectly. I'm sure I, I know I missay things. I know I say things wrong, and, and that's, that's bad for me to say things that, that are wrong, even if I don't mean to do it. That's bad. But, but God forgives me of my failures and washes me clean of my, of my sin and lack of obedience. And all that remains is the, the keeping of the word. And so we can have assurance in that. As we read Christ praying for his disciples, say, yeah, they kept, they kept your word. He's not lying because he has, uh, he has purged them of all their unrighteousness. That has been paid for. It's gone. And all that remains is the, the good that they did for Christ by faith. That's amazing grace right there. That's a, praise God for his grace. We see that they know all things in verse number 7. How do they know all things? Because it was revealed. Verse number 8, they received God's word. So they heard God's word. They received it. They were convinced of the truthfulness of it. And then, lastly, they knew that Jesus came from the Father, and they knew that the Father sent the Son. How? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So, they receive God's word, they know all things, they know that Jesus came from the Father, they kept God's word. All these things are what the disciples did, and they truly did them. But all these things are fruit of what Christ did for them. 
So uh, as we think about Jesus praying for us, what we are left with are all the things that, that God has done for us. Even as he prays for the disciples, the, the taste and the savor that's left in my mouth after reading that is, what a Savior, what a God. I don't read this and think, what an apostle, what a man. But as Jesus prays for his disciples, I think, what a Savior, what a God, what grace. We have in Jesus.